Hi there, this is Daniel Schwarzman, co-host of A Positive Jam, a podcast that breaks down classic albums, with our first season focusing on the Hold Steady's classic 2004 debut album, The Hold Steady Almost Killed Me. We're cruising into track eight, Sketchy Metal. My fellow co-host Mike Taylor is on the track, here's what he sounds like. I don't know, he's cool. Here's the thing about Sketchy Metal. I believe that every great Hold Steady album has at least one bad track, a dud that sticks out. I like Sketchy Metal well enough, but it's the clear dud of this album. We talk about why that is and why we still like the song. Craig's riffs, the Catholic imagery, the empathy that gets across. But even with your favorite bands or albums, it's worth thinking about what doesn't work. We hope you understand what we think falls short after you listen to this episode. She only takes the pick-me-uppers The counteract all the Sketchy Metal Track 8 Daniel You said every Hold Steady album has a song that's this bad or worse. What did you say? <laughs> they have my frame of reference of their first three albums each one had at least one dud of this nature. One dud. Yes. What do you mean by that? The, the Hold Steady, I think they would consider themselves of the album lineage of putting together a full set of songs that goes together. And they just seem to, there's always a track that kind of, to me, either causes the record to skip or loses momentum. And I don't know what to explain it. I felt very relieved to hear last time that both you and our guest Leon felt that way about Chill Out Tent, for example, on Boys and Girls in America. I don't think there was anything else that was at that level on that album, but that really just stuck out. And then for Separation Sunday, I really don't like Charlemagne and Sweatpants. And, And that album also just, because it was more of a concept album, there was also, a couple other transitional tracks that were kind of there to f- keep things moving more than to be good songs. Yeah. And here, certain songs, for example, slows down the tempo, but I think it works because it fits into the... We talked about how it's sort of the end of side one. I think it flows nicely out of most people are DJs. I think that works, even though it's not my favorite. But after the highs that we talked about with Hostile Massachusetts, to jump into just a, it's, it's a fine, it's okay. And it's not a terrible song. There's some fun stuff going on in it, but it's just, it's a real sort of take it down several notches. And I don't know, it just, it doesn't feel like it's got as much, it just felt to me like, that's why I said last week, you could almost just go straight from tra- skip track seven and go to track 10 like you would a right. uh, video game. So I think there's kind of a pattern in your dud framework here across those three songs, sketchy metal, Charlemagne and sweatpants, chill out tent. They're all in the back half of the album. And I think they're all in the back third of the album. We kind of conceived of hostile mass as in a way, a kind of climax to the album in that it ends with this sax solo, it ends with a sense of joy. There's also, in terms of, to the extent there's a plot to the album, the scene is falling apart, people are turning on each other, but these two people are falling in love. And that duality is kind of something that drives a lot of the whole studies music. 
overall. If that's the case, I think then then you're kind of for the final three songs of the album, Sketchy Metal, Sweet Pain, and Killer Parties, in the kind of descent, denouement of the rest of the album. And I think what is tough for the whole study maybe is managing that downshift in energy. So much of what is appealing about the band is the momentum that the songs generate and the way they demand a kind of engagement with you and the way that they're trying really hard to rock in this more traditional kick-ass way. So when they take their foot off the gas, go down tempo a little bit and have a little bit more of like a dirge-like vibe, I guess on an individual song basis, I see your point of, of these being kind of duds. I think Chill Out 10 is a little bit more on a different level for why it's unsuccessful. But I think if you're looking at this on the level of the entire album, this song and Sweet Pain are kind of transitions into Killer Parties, which is just a paradigmatic closer, both of the album and of, of shows, then I think it kind of, you have to get on that glide path somehow. I, so I think that's kind of the spot that we're in if you're trying to sort of figure out how this song might fit. Maybe you still think it, it doesn't, but I think that that's probably what explains it, at least. Yeah, I feel like it's a sequencing thing. I wonder, because I, I want to save Sweet Pain for when we get to it, but I have come around quite a lot on that song. I wonder what the sequencing would sound if you just removed track eight. But yeah, you're right. It may be that when you come off such a high, you then have to kind of Take it down a notch, as we talked about with the first few songs, all of the high fidelity framework. Yeah, and again, it's not a terrible song. It's just kind of a, it still rocks in a slower way. Like, there's still quite heavy guitars here, and it's, the themes still fit in with the album. just not it just you do it does feel like the air comes out of things a little bit and so back in the day that's where my attention started to fade until you got to killer parties which like you said is just such a it's not an anthem but it's just a rallying cry really feels great yeah a positive jam is brought to you by retro gear shop retro gear shop offers a unique selection of high-end musical instruments recording equipment and audio gear and is sold to everyone from Pete Townsend to Arcade Fire to Wilco and more. Check out Retro Gear Shop at RetroGearShop.com and see why it's the premier high-end musical gear shop. Retro Gear Shop. The other aspect I'd build on from this being kind of a transition song from Hostile Mass is... I think this is maybe tied with Hostile Mass or even surpasses it in terms of digging into Christian imagery and might be the most exploitive of Christian iconography with like explicit references to the Holy Trinity, to Jesus, to God. And, and the song is structured as kind of a transition from the depths of addiction and sleaze and partying and rocking into an encounter, even though it's kind of still like a rock 
rock and roll, ironic, winking encounter, an encounter with these powerful religious figures. So it, in terms of going, Hostile Mass ends with wandering out of Mass, and then this ends with like, again, sort of a flip side of, it's such a bummer to be mired down in all this partying and sleaze. And then at the end, it's a little bit hopeful with this encounter with religion. So I think as an engine of that kind of the religious part of Craig Finn's lyrical work, I think there's something important or there's like, he's planting a flag a little bit here for the sort of way the band is positioned with respect to these two key themes, one being like partying and and excess and the other being like some kind of spiritual questing. Well, and also the musicians and sort of the the scene and i mean obviously the druggy part and the partying part is part of the musical scene but also just the idea of i mean ex- almost explicitly compares entertainers to the holy trinity as you put it in this and and but in an ironic way like i don't think it's grandiose and it's just that's also one of the themes here what it reminded me of that aspect of it reminded me of Torn and Frayed off of Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. But to the Stones, and we know that the Stones was on Craig and Tad and Co's mind. One of the extra tracks here, they explicitly quote a Keith Richards sort of guitar line. Yeah. that In that album, I feel like it sequences a little bit better. It comes actually a little bit earlier in the album. It's on side two of four. But it is. It's sort of a grittier song. And, the you know, the guitar player gets restless. And you're sort of characters in the band. And drugs are all around. In that song, it's about codeine and about, uh, you know, the Stones were into quite a few substances at the time. Codeine. <laughs> if you're the Rolling Stones, you can just do better than Cody. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe they what are you doing? This extraction. They just had to <laughs> later. A lot of dentistry with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. So <laughs> Cody. That's what it. You know. So there is some sort of. I get where they're going. I'm not trying to criticize the song or the band, but it. I feel like it's it's a useful song. It's just interesting, especially because I had never listened to the extra tracks until we started preparing for this a few months ago, and you had brought them up to me. This feels of a a little bit more formed than some of those B sides or whatever, but it's sort of of a caliber with some of them. Yeah, I think maybe what holds it together a little better is the lyrical structure and the arc of it, which is that it does have this transitional aspect and it goes from depth, like depravity and sleaze into a spiritual thing. I, I mean, this song is sort of just like about hitting rock bottom and then finding something, I think. And so it's not necessarily sort of a bummer and a slow slog for that reason, or at least that has an affinity with what the content's about. So I can see why the band might have been more proud to showcase this song than some of the others, which do just feel a little bit more stitched together on the B-sides. I think part of it is just how quiet it starts, and that must be deliberate. It really is just a whisper. We introduce the character, it's probably Hallelujah. And even just 
the second full line is she only takes the pick-me-uppers to counteract all the put-me-to-sleepers. I think they know what they're doing, even if what we're saying I don't think they would at the time or now find as super surprising as a reaction because I think they're kind of setting it up this way. I'd like to hear some live versions of this. I feel like this could really bring the house down live, but it's such a, it would be tough because of how quiet and slow it is. But I think there's something moving about that intro and it would be, I mean, it might be kind of a cool way to open a set, for example, if you just start anyway. He's thinking as much as he does anywhere on the album too. Yeah. And actually he was on TV recently. He posted on Twitter, a perf- just Craig, not the whole study, him in a piano. And he's like, his solo career, I think is much more singing driven. I don't know. It's interesting. I think that there's some, he wants to explore this kind of softer side, more sort of introspective exploratory side that you don't get necessarily with the vibe of the yelling and the, the harsh lyrics. And so I think that that's maybe informing the choices in this song as well, which I think maybe to do more justice to some of the songs that we are like, not quite so sure about, we would probably, it would be more fair to explore more of Craig Finn's sort of solo work and and some of the stuff he's done there. Cause I think he is after some kind of level of beauty and empathy that maybe he didn't quite feel like he could hit through the way the hold steady is sort of set up. But I want to I want to hit a couple of the Johnny Fever reference. I looked this up actually because I didn't know. I actually thought it was Johnny Beaver, <laughs> which has its own connotations. I feel like with your Bones Brigade misunderstanding, now I get to notch a, a porno yeah, yeah, yeah. porno reference misfire. <laughs> but uh, Johnny Fever is from WKRP Cincinnati, and he's he's the star of that show, which. I've watched a couple of episodes. My wife's parents are really into that show and it's funny. And he's, I don't know, he's cool. All right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. You got Johnny, Dr. Johnny Fever, and I am burning up in here. We all in critical condition, babies. He looks cool. He's got the like 70s aviators. He's, I think, balding a little bit, but he's got kind of blonde hair. He looks like just a cool 70s dude. I think it's interesting that he's a fictional DJ. And then the next time we talk about going out deep for guys, it's Alice Cooper, who's obviously known primarily for his musical career, but has great radio show that I've heard a couple times while I've just been driving late at night. I'm not sure how I got my dial to that station, but he does a really cool, it's actually something more, more musicians should probably do. And now that there's satellite radio and podcasts, there's more of this, but like explaining what's cool, what they like about the song as they're playing it is something that you don't, because of the way radio has kind of all consolidated under clear channel and all of that, they've kind of taken the personality out of the aspect of just listening to music unless you're on like college radio. And I think that having really knowledgeable rock performers 
guide you through their favorite songs is just like a much more enriching experience. And Alice Cooper is, I think, kind of like his part in Wayne's World. He's kind of just like a, a nerd. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? So it's really fun to listen to this sort of rock icon play tunes. That's a bit of a digression, but I think it's interesting that these are both DJs, but with sort of a twist. Johnny Fever is a fictional DJ and Alice Cooper is a DJ, but not that's not going to be the first line in his obituary. <laughs> I was just, I got, I'm glad you got to Wayne's World before I had to ask you about it being a Milwaukee hometown boy. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Noted Midwest enthusiast, Alice Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> also Cincinnati, you know, another Midwestern town. So. A positive jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop sells a bunch of great cutting edge and classic musical gear from synths to mics, preamps to guitar pedals and more. For example, they sell the Earthquaker Devices Organizer and the Earthquaker Devices Dispatch Master. You know who uses the organizer? Hold steady guitarist Tad Kubler, according to MusicRadar.com. You know who uses the Dispatch Master? Hold steady lead singer Craig Finn, according to the same MusicRadar.com. Want to check them out? Go to RetroGearShop.com and check out the Effects and Amps page. And if you buy something and use the discount code APJ10, that's as in A positive jam 10 you'll get 10 percent off your purchase on eligible items check it out at retrogearshop.com r-e-t-r-o-g-e-a-r-s-h-o-p.com retro yeah i think this also Went through a skater phase, went through a raver phase, went through a razor blade phase. Razor blade, obviously a reference to cocaine. Went through a skater phase. Went through a raver phase. I went through a razor blade phase. I guess I went through a hundred dollars a day. I thought it was cutting yourself. Cutting yourself? I thought, well, I think I went through $100 a day. That would be, I mean, in Band-Aids. <laughs> that would be a, a lot of cocaine, but it would be a, like really a lot of Band-Aids. So yeah, Fair. I don't Fair. I don't know. I feel like that sort of fits with the way the 90s went. Skater and then Raver. And then for most people, the razor blade part didn't really manifest manifest but skater and raver feel very 90s to me and i think it's fun to hear him reference the past in that way so that stuck with me i think i'm having the same experience here that i've had a lot going back through the album was sort of the wisdom of hindsight just the same thing that i found this all very glamorous when i heard it on initial listen and now i see that there's much more ironic distance and humor inflected in in all these images. But I do think this song does show some sort of affection and affinity for being sort of down in the muck. There's like regret and empathy in the tone of his voice that I think when people are asking him whether this stuff is autobiographical, first of all, this is an I and we driven first person song 
But I think there's evidence that this isn't coming out of nowhere and that there's some identification going on. Well, I like what you said. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the most empathetic songs on the album. The irony is mostly around, really, the I think that the comparison of the Holy Trinity to the entertainers and the idea, I love the interplay of Jesus and God and Jesus rolling his eyes while his dad tells Jesus jokes. I think that's... Yeah, kind of a more human presentation of those figures, which are divine figures. I don't know if I think this rendering is correct. I have the lyrics open and it's bless the beasts and the children and the water and the waiters. And I love that he just couldn't help but stick a sort of service industry person into these more classic religious references. The famine end and the two for ones begin. Like there's some good. Right. There's some good stand up lines here, I think. And also some things, again, everything seems connected in the whole city's work. We got so high that the audience, they look just like ants. Earlier, the kids were like little lambs looking up at me on most people are DJs. There's a lot of that sort of between, even though the Hold Steady wasn't, this was their first album, Lifter Puller never got that big outside of Minneapolis. There's still a lot of that. When an artist gets into their, their the stage of their career where they're writing how much it sucks to be an artist, that's always kind of a tough phase. And I don't think this is that, but maybe that's part of where the air comes out a little bit. It still connects. And even the... We hung out, got pretty close to some questionable folks and got ideas from dangerous thinkers. Reminds me of some of the lines in Stuck Between Stations as far as surrounding myself with large bodies or whatever, the doctors and big thinkers. Doctors and deep thinkers, yeah. As you got further along in the whole studies albums, there's lots of callbacks and references to previous things. And I think there's a line between where that becomes just sort of parroting what you already said versus like putting it in a new and interesting context. I do think this is one of, because it's so early, the callbacks here, you don't get the sense that it's a retread. They're on the same album. I found a woke up with a backstage pass in my pants. Reminds me of the went down with the girls gone wild, came back to the middle land, which I think is on, I'm not sure. Bar Fruit Blues, I think. Bar Fruit Blues, yeah. So yeah, we get some of that here. I'm with you. This is like a down tempo. I think it's like its function is as a transition. I think that the strengths of it are that it does have this kind of empathy to it and that it has this structure of kind of hitting bottom and then coming to some, even if it's tongue in cheek, some kind of accessing something spiritual or a little bit more purposeful than just boozing it up constantly. And I think that that's obviously territory that's going to be mind much more heavily as the band kind of progresses from beyond this album. And so I think that that's kind of a notable thing about the song. It's definitely not getting you jumping out of your seat, but I think it does serve some functions and probably is an important building block on which other things can then rest later. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when we get sweet pain to think about how this sequences into that. It also reminds me, I don't think you like this song, but it reminds me a lot of Citrus from the Boys and Girls. To me, I liked that song more. It felt like he managed to get more of the urgency, even though it was just an acoustic guitar song. But it's also not as... This song isn't, even though it's dark in some ways, it's a little bit breezier and more. There's still, you know, 
hanging out with entertainers and cracking jokes. It's more humor. It's more humorous than citrus. I think citrus is pretty self-serious and sincere. This one is also sincere, but I think it, it does a nice job of weaving sort of humor in with the sincerity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Sketchy metal. Sketchy metal. Good song title. Good song title. They hit some some nice titles here. They, look. Yeah, they bat like 400 plus on song titles. It's, they're like Ichiro. <laughs> this one's like a slap single. Titles. Slap single. To the, <laughs> well, he's a lefty, right? So slap single to the left field. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what sketchy metal is. Yeah. I think they're Craig's a Twins fan. I think they'd appreciate that. Yeah. To get through to the rhythm guitarist. We got so high. Thanks for listening. All rights of song sampled belong to their original creators, with credit to the Rolling Stones for Torn and Frayed. You can subscribe to a positive jam wherever you get podcasts. If you like what we're doing, please share with a friend or leave a review on Apple. This has been a Shortman Studios production. To get in touch, DM us at Shortman Studios on Twitter or look me up at Daniel Shortman or Mike up at M. Brooks Taylor or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com Join us next week for Sweet Pain as we discuss whether this falls in the same bucket as Sketchy Metal or if there's something more. And it forgave me